0: Interesting reading um, in light of this morning's news. Um, thought it would be a bit superficial just to uh, move on and not acknowledge um, what many of you probably saw on your phones this morning. I know, I don't remember exactly when it pushed to my phone about the 50 plus people who were, who were murdered in Orlando. Um, but one of the reasons we gather as a church is to be reminded that there is a King of Kings, uh, that we live in a broken world, and... Um, And it's a need of saving. It's interesting. And forgive me if if this comes out a bit wrong. um, But as you know, it was a a, a gay nightclub. Um, People whose lives uh, are lived in a way that we may not agree with. But nevertheless, um, created in the image of God. And I can't help but think that there are some distorted and extremist groups amongst Christians who will think that they got what they deserved. And yet, if we got what we deserved, all of us would be damned. So I, I don't know, I just understand a little bit more um, when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, um, because the world is broken in every way. And... Um, Man, there's one healer in it, and then it's Jesus. There's one transformer in it, and that is Jesus. And there's one king who's going to make all this right, and it's Jesus. And that's the only reason we're here. On that rather maybe uh, sobering tone, I want to prepare you for um, the message this morning, just uh, psychologically maybe. (laughs) Um, The section you just read, um, the flood, it's not a a happy event. Um, it's happy in the sense that God saved eight people, um, but it's it's sobering in the sense that He wiped out an entire civilization uh, because of violence. Uh, so, so this morning might be a little bit on the heavier side, and 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 that's okay. There's parts of the Bible that are heavy. <laughs> it's not always chipper, not always happy. It's not always happy-go-lucky. So, um, with that said, um, I want to ask you if you turn to Hebrews chapter eleven. We are looking at different characters of faith in that chapter. We looked at Abel, and we looked at Enoch, and we are at the third one, which is Noah. So uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, just one, one verse. And uh, let me pause and let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious Holy Father, uh, we know that your word declares that your, your love is as high as the heavens. Um, That means there's no end to it. There's no end to the grace that you have for sinful humanity, violent humanity, uh, messed up and distorted humanity. At the same time, Lord, we know that you are a God who is holy and you are a God who, though you are slow to anger, you are angered by the way in which people treat each other and how we treat you. We also acknowledge, Father, that your word declares that there is a time coming in which the living and the dead will rise, great and small, and they will stand before the throne and books will be opened. And the dead will be judged by everything written in those books, that there is no one who will not be held accountable. And even death itself does not keep us from accountability, that you will, you will bring it all to, to light. Yet we're also, Lord, amazed that you have a book of life. In which you have inscribed names of your people who have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. And it's because of the precious blood of Christ that we alone can't uh, have any sense of hope of escaping um, Judgment Day. So Lord, I, I, we, we, we pray for our country. We pray for our, our, our people. We pray for those who have lost loved ones. We pray for those who have lost friends. Um, And we simply ask you to be merciful and ask that somehow your gospel would come to bear um, in the barren lives of people and perhaps through such events you will awaken them to the fact that you are here and you are a God who is calling us to yourself. Father, in these moments we have to look at your word, I I just pray that your voice would be crystal clear to us, to me, and that you would encourage Sober, convict us as we, as, we, uh, as we look at your word this morning, and I pray this in the name of our, our, our lamb, slaughtered lamb, the lamb that was slain for us, Jesus Christ, amen. You can almost picture on a busy street, in an intersection, in a city, a man in ragged clothes holding up a sign on cardboard. And on that sign it says, repent, judgment day is coming. I've seen it, you've seen it, it's been on the movies. A man holding a cardboard sign, repent, for judgment day is coming. Cars pass by, people walk by without really even noticing. It's like white noise in the city. Um, The man holding the sign is is judged to be a, a, a quack, a crazy uh, religious fanatic, um, end of the world, apocalyptic kind of stuff, which for most modern thinkers or postmodern thinkers is is really the content of what's on that sign. Judgment Day is coming. Seems like seems like beyond the realm of of what is credible. Um, it seems so sensational that it can't be real. Granted, as Christians, we may not agree with a the medium of holding up a sign that says, repent, for the day of judgment is coming. Um, but nevertheless, we believe the message is true. Um, but the, the world around us doesn't view it as, a, as something that's real. Um, that is in terms of divine judgment. A judgment day is a, and a day in which the one who created everything um, uh, judges the earth. We have no problem, however, as a society, uh, accepting cataclysm and difficulties as far as devastation, tsunamis, um, hurricanes, those kinds of things, but divine judgment that seems to the modern mind, and perhaps even if we were to look at our own thoughts, maybe we think it 's beyond the realm of reality. Uh, if our president got on the got on the horn uh, tomorrow or today, which he 's going to get on the horn at 1.30 today, address the nation. And he said on every channel all around the world, he said, my fellow Americans and my fellow humans, um, scientists have discovered that there is an asteroid the size of Madagascar and they have said we have 435 days until that asteroid hits Earth. Not divine judgment, it's just a matter of physics. If he said that, you and I both know everything would change. The election coming up would be a blip on the radar, nobody really cared. I' got 40, 4, 435 days left to live. That's all I got. What would we spend time doing? Trying to figure out how to survive. That's what we'd be doing. We would gather close, our loved ones, our wife, my wife, my kids, wondering how we're going to make it through. 435 days left. I mean if, 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 if you said that, people would believe it, and our world would go crazy. But divine judgment? Nah, kind of beyond the realm of possibility. Noah lived in a time in which, and I'm speaking metaphorically or in a sense, in which he understood that there were 435 days left. Not literally. That things had gotten so bad and so violent and so corrupt, people treated one another with such disdain and such selfishness um, that God decided he was going to reboot. He was going to start over that he was going to wipe clean the earth that he created and all of the beloved creation that he created. And and as as I know the Lord, the the Lord is is, is slow to do that. He is reluctant to wipe clean what he created. Um, That means that it got so bad that the Lord was so grieved that he had to start over again. But not without giving a message, right? Um, you going to start over again? He speaks to a man named Noah, who's called a herald of righteousness in Second Peter chapter two, verse five. And he tells him, "This is what I'm going to do. You have a, a particular amount of time, and I'm going to wipe the earth clean by floodwaters. And uh, at the same time, I'm going to give you some blueprints, <laughs> uh, design for something that is going to save you and your um, and your family." And what's interesting is that in that society at that time, the idea of a flood was preposterous and absurd, um, which is why people didn't believe when Noah preached and said, You only have so much time. But Noah, despite the absurdity of the message that a flood is going to cover the earth, uh, it says that Noah believed. He believed the word of the Lord and and that's one of the reasons if not the reason why he's picked up by Hebrews chapter 11 and he's given to us as an example of faith as a person who believed it says by by the way it's just a bit a, a bit of a providential comic <laughs> we got a boat up here and we're talking about Noah i couldn't have programmed that any better however i have to move behind the uh the head of the uh the viking ship so i can actually read this it says Um, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. That is, by his faith, he condemned the world because they refused to believe the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. There are, in this single verse that's a reflection, a summation of, of Noah's faith, there are some lessons of, of faith that I think are important to grasp, um, some of which might be encouraging. Like I said, in other sense, it, it could be a little bit stinging. Um, but one of the, the things you realize, one of the lessons we draw from his life, and what's unique about him, um, is really the absurdity of, the, of God's message that I'm going to drown the earth in a flood. Uh, And that's one of the lessons that faith takes God at his word, despite how absurd it may seem to human experience. Uh, That's picked up at the very beginning of verse 7 when it says, you know, by faith, uh, Noah being warned by God uh, concerning events as yet unseen. When it says as yet unseen, it doesn't mean that they were unseen in the sense that they were just purely future, like, well, the flood is future, so you haven't seen it yet. But the idea is that they hadn't seen it before. The whole idea of God like sending a deluge, uh, a massive, violent torrent of waters to cover the earth, um, it had never been seen before. It was outside the realm of of normal life. It seemed preposterous. It seemed like it could never happen. Much like people walk by the man with a cardboard sign, and they think, ah, that could never happen never happened. But he believed, despite the absurdity of the message. And that's, that's important, is, is to recognize some of the things that we have in Scripture seem a bit beyond um, what we think is possible. And yet, he's commended for his faith, and we will be commended for our faith that if we believe what God, in fact, says. Um, is true, then we too will have the faith of, of Noah, as he believed despite how absurd it sounded. That's, that's important, just taking God at his word, right? Just believing that it's true. Believing that if he said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Believing that if, if God says, listen, I'm going to, quite frankly, you know, there's a lot of things that scare me flying in a plane, um, fire. The thing that scares me the most, honestly, um, is water. I've seen rushing rivers. I've seen turbulent oceans, and it scares me. And I, 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 I can't imagine. Um, I can't imagine God doing that to his earth. I can't imagine the, the, um, the horror of it. Well, that's exactly what God said he was going to do because of the violence of, of, of humanity. Because things, things have become so corrupt. And Noah believed. He believed that God was going to do it. Tells us something about the seriousness with which God takes sin, doesn't it? Uh, we like to think of, of, of humanity as basically good. Um, that's the world around us. But I'll tell you this. Um, everything that we think is civilized right now in our world is a product of God's common grace holding and restraining humanity from becoming as evil as it can be. And my sense from Romans and also the book of Revelation is that as time goes on, towards the end, God will remove his restraining influence on humanity and it will once again plunge into the depths of what we can be because we are fundamentally sinful. And when that happens, it happens, God just letting man have his way, it will end in something similar to the flood. That is the final day of judgment. Now, I know, like I said, many of us don't think about final judgment. However, again, a broken record. Scripture talks about it over and over and over and over again through the centuries, that a day has been appointed, fixed on the calendar, there's a time in which the hour hand, the second hand, and the minute hand will all converge on one predetermined point, and at that point, the world will no longer be as smart as it thought it was to wake up and realize, wow, there is a creator, and here he is. Just take a moment, I want you to listen to this, okay? And, and, and part of this is to feel the cumulative effect of, um, because Noah's flood for us, really, um, is what theologians call a proleptic event. It is a foretaste, it's a preview of, of what's to come. Um, that's why it's in scripture, to see, wow, things can get so bad that God has to wipe everything out. So listen to this. Maybe just close your eyes. I want to just read for you from all of the prophets but Nahum. He talks about judgment too, but it's more particular to Nineveh and the Assyrians. Just listen, okay? I want you to feel the cumulative weight of the word of the Lord that says a day is coming. Isaiah, 8th century B.C. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger. To make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. Isaiah 13, 9 through 10. Prophet Jeremiah, 7th century B.C. That day is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance to avenge himself on his foes. Jeremiah 46, 10. Ezekiel, 6th century B.C. The day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations, Ezekiel 30, verse 3. Prophet Daniel, 6th century B.C., and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, every one of those whose name is, is found written in the book, Daniel 12, verse 1 prophet Joel 7th century BC the Lord Yahweh utters his voice before his army for his army is exceedingly great he who executes his word is powerful for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome who can endure it Joel 2 11. Amos 8th century BC is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it uh, Amos five twenty. Micah, eighth century BC. Behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Micah one verse three. Obadiah, sixth century BC, for the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you, your deeds shall return on your own head, Obadiah fifteen. Prophet Zephaniah, 7th century B.C., a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, Zephaniah one fifteen. Prophet Zechariah, 6th century B.C., then the Lord, Yahweh, will go out and fight against the nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. Uh, that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, Zechariah 14.3. Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, 5th century B.C. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so it will leave them neither root nor branch. And... Concluding with Jesus, I'll leave off the apostles for sake of time. Jesus, the prophet of God, first century A.D., Matthew chapter 24, 36 through 39. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. that's just a a little sample. That last piece by Jesus, like, it'd be like in the days of Noah, everybody's marrying and giving in marriage, and... The is that people are going to be doing normal activities. You're going to wake up like every other day. Your alarm's going to go off. Um, you're going to get up and brush your teeth, make yourself a cup of coffee, have some breakfast if you eat breakfast, and read the paper, get in your car, check Facebook, whatever, play Angry Birds, words with friends. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the day arrives. No one thought it possible. Everybody ignored the content on that that cardboard cut out. Repent, for judgment day is coming. But listen, if, if we're going to take God at his word, and I just read a whole lot of words, the day is coming, and we ought to, as God's people, take God as, at his word, that this is a day fixed in history. And it is, I don't know how far, but it will happen. So one of the lessons you draw just taking God at his word, despite how absurd it may seem to a human experience, modern or postmodern experience. Do you, Christian, do you take God at his word? Like when, when you read texts like I just read, do you pause and go, wow, I actually believe this is going to happen. That's lesson one of faith and the longest of the lessons. Lesson two, to be drawn from this. Is that faith actively and fearfully prepares for God's appointed judgment and salvation? That is, it wasn't just a kind of faith saying "I believe." It's the kind of faith says "I believe," and what happens? Well, his faith produces something. It 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 it, it acts. It it takes those blueprints of a ship, a floating zoo. <laughs> And day after day, week after week, year after year, probably three or four decades, he spends building this this behemoth that is his faith in God's word. That it was true, taking God as, at His word, produced something in his life. Faith, Christian, if if it, if, it, if if faith really believes something to be true, not just in the mental sense, but in the heart conviction sense, it changes everything. It it unleashes a massive amount of motivation and movement and and drive, because you know the day's coming, right? And that's, that's what it does in his life, and that's what it should do in our lives, is that the, the belief is, if you actually believe God's word is true, what he said is going to happen is going to happen, then it unleashes this, this motivation in life um, to obey. To follow his word, to, in Noah's day, construct the ark. Now, I got to be fair. I read, in what I read, I was, those are a lot of judgment passages, and you're thinking, wow, Dan, this is a real downer. You just talked about judgment all. What about the salvation side? And it's like, yes, there's, there's the salvation side too, because in addition to saying, I'm going to drown the earth, um, he also gives these blueprints to say, This is my appointed means of salvation for you. And he takes that appointed means of salvation, he follows it through and builds it in faith that it would hold together, you know, that it wouldn't be cracked by a big wave or onto a mountain, like God's hands would be all around. There's no way the ship would have survived without God's grace and love surrounding and protecting that ship and all of its life on board. So there is this salvation, which is the hope, you know? Judgment and salvation. It's interesting in the Bible, those two things, judgment, salvation, um, happen simultaneously, right? In the flood, God just. Destroys or judges those who refuse to believe the message. At the same time, in the same event, God rescues Noah and his family. Same event. Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot is graciously drug out, saved. And those who are left behind are incinerated with brimstone. Fire and brimstone. At the cross of Jesus. A judgment salvation event, Right? Um, We who are sinful are set free and forgiven. And in that same event, Jesus is punished by the wrath of God in our place. At the end of history, same thing. Judgment and salvation will happen simultaneously. God will once again wipe clean the earth for the sake of recreation. But those who have accepted his appointed means of salvation... They will be safe in the stronghold, in the refuge. And there's there's only one refuge. Like God has provided for us an ark. Only it's not a ship made of wood. It's it's Christ who died on wood um, on a cross. He is He's the only safe passage. And I just, you know, you picture a just just judgment falling. And where do you go? There's nowhere to go. There's, there's, when, when the kings and poor people climb into caves and they say to the rocks, fall on us for the wrath of the Lamb, that is the wrath of Jesus has come, there's only one safe place. And that is, of course, Christ. He is, he is God's appointed means of salvation um, to rescue us and bring us safely through the floodwaters uh, that we uh, will face as a, as a people. Judgment, salvation. Does your faith in our appointed means of salvation, Christ, um, produce things in your life? Do you feel, do you think that you are adequately prepared um, for salvation judgment? Do I? What does preparation look like? What, What does it mean for me to be prepared well, in the first order, it means that you actually do trust in God's definitive word, who is Christ. Trust that he is, in fact, enough to hold when the floodwaters come, that he will be safe in the confines of his love and in his sacrifice for you, that you're safe. But out of that, to recognize that part of the preparation is Jesus taught us, it's like you got to be watchful, right? you got to actually have your eyes open and recognizing this is coming, and not fall asleep. To, to be morally circumspect about your life. And to analyze, am I really living out my faith? To be like Noah in his day. To not just believe the truth, but actually care enough about others to proclaim, hey, guess what's happening? Like God has provided an appointed means of salvation because judgment's coming. To actually love God and love your neighbor. like the, All of those are ways in which we in faith prepare to live out our Christian life but to be watchful. And you know, just to keep that big picture in mind of like the two horizons of creation and judgment, salvation ahead, and to recognize I'm being watchful, I'm not just looking here, work tomorrow, not getting along with my wife, my kids are having a hard time in school, all those things are real, you have to deal with it. But, but we get so absorbed and, and uh, drawn into it that we, we no longer have our eyes on the horizon. Like, like, we're moving somewhere big. And until we can actually see these in light of what's happened in the past and what's happening in the future, we will find ourselves confused and, and overly obsessive about things like elections. It's like the biggest thing. And does it matter? Yes, it matters. But I guarantee you, when the Son of Man comes, it's not going to make a difference who's president. And you know what? He's going to fix it anyway. So do we care about the small and the instantaneous and the present? Yes! But Christian, look farther than that. And only in in, in that will you find strength and courage in your faith that God is going to make things right. The person who pulled the trigger this morning, he's gonna gonna be brought back to life. And he's gonna have to answer to Almighty God who created every human being. And we can trust that that, in fact, is gonna happen. So, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Do you take God's word? Are you prepared? And third, I'm just going to make this one really short. You have the gospel, one of the core gospel truths present in this passage and in the life of Noah, that faith receives God's gift of righteousness. At the very end, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I never thought I'd have to peek around a ship in order to read. But he received righteousness. Like, how did he do that? Like, of course by faith, but... You read chapter nine of, of, of Genesis and realize Noah had a little too much Merlot or Cabernet, depends on whatever he was growing. That is, he got stone drunk. He was a sinner like you and like me. How can he be righteous? He he receives, he inherits righteousness. Of course, it's by faith. God looks at a person's faith. It's by faith he's declared righteous, not on the basis of his obedience, although we have to acknowledge that his obedience came out of his faith, right? Ultimately, all of this points us in a direction future, and I've already alluded to it. It's like, you know, people sometimes ask me the question, how is it that God could forgive Noah when Jesus didn't die until like 4,000 years later, Right? And I tell him, you know what, this is my best way of thinking about it. It's like, God had this big old credit card. Right? Noah screws up. And you know what? He, his, his, his debt of sin requires payment of judgment. And the Lord just slides his credit card and says, I'll pay for it, but here it is. Slides a credit card. Same thing with Abraham. He's a liar. Slides his credit card. I got that one too. And I... Uh, 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 Isaac, also a liar, slide the credit card. Jacob, the supplanter, credit card. Moses, he gets angry, swipes the credit card. David, Bathsheba, swipes the credit card. All the while, God is accumulating this mass of debt. And when Christ died on the cross, God said, now it's paid. This Christ is the only way that Noah could be counted righteous And faith is the only way that he could access it. It's by faith alone. That's gospel, right? That's the gospel. The only hope for a sinful person like me to know that I have the righteous card that says free entry into heaven is by faith in what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus. Something that we have to just hold on to and be reminded of and come back to every single day to be reminded it's not on the basis of my works that I'm righteous, it's on the basis of his works. So here you have these lessons of, of, of faith. And I just want to end with this, is that someday, faith will be vindicated. That is, faith will be vindicated by history. And this is an encouraging part. Noah and his seven family members, uh, I assume they believed, but his seven uh, family members They believed God's word, despite the fact that it seems so absurd to the surrounding world. They believed God at his word. They're prepared. You can almost picture people walking by Noah, you know. Um, What you building there, Noah? It's like, well, I'm building a ship. Why are you building a ship so far inland? There's no water here. Well, I told you there's a flood coming. There ain't no flood going to come. There hasn't been a flood in the past. not going to be a flood in the future. Well, you know, the day came. And the people who thought Noah was a fool proved themselves to be foolish. And his faith was vindicated by the act of God. Right? You know, there's there's flood stories in almost every ancient culture on earth. One of those flood stories uh, goes by the name of the Epic of Gilgamesh. It has been written on tablets unearthed in Mesopotamia that are over 4,000 years old that have a lot of the details about the flood in genesis that are similar and there's a reason why so many stories about the flood are permeate so many ancient cultures and civilizations you know why because it actually happened it happened the world may think that our faith in Christ and the faith that God is going to The Son of Man is going to come back and write all things and judge all things. It may seem like a farce. It may seem beyond um, the realm of reasonable people. Someday, someday it's going to come true. And our faith will be vindicated. And then in those moments, who will be foolish? The people who believed or the people who didn't believe? I, 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 I just I pray that even more and more as time moves on, and I'm asking you to make it a point of prayer in your life. God's people, including the people in this church, including myself, we need a fundamental renewal of that faith in our time. And we ought to be praying, Lord, in this time where violence is increasing, give us real faith to take you at your word and to be productive with the time that we have. We ought to be praying as a church for that. Uh, uh, That ought to be a constant thing so that the Lord will answer us and give renewal and uh, refreshment to our hearts and souls. Because I sense that there is a, a lack of real faith. And what we need is what's talked about in Hebrews 11, verse 1. It's talked about, you know, that faith is the assurance of things future and the conviction of things unseen. Let me close in prayer. Gracious Father, I I pray for just that. In this room that we have, uh, most of us gathered here in your name, most of us say we believe this word, most of us believe in Christ, most of us believe, at least on some level, that there is a future judgment and a future reward coming. And uh, Father, I I ask that you would, um, man, just to... Reawaken, renew, revive um, a a faith that cannot be um, discouraged, a faith that cannot be put down, a faith that cannot be sidelined, a faith that cannot be silenced, a faith that cannot be left in a place where it's not working or fruitful. May it be so, oh God, that uh, we would not be the generation that loses faith but the generation that believes with all of our heart in your word in Christ's name.